Hello, everyone, and would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, we come to this part in Revelation, and, and Lord, we want an infilling of your spirit. We, we want to uh, recognize what you want us to know about these uh, very important days. So, Lord, we commit this time to you. We believe that our Bibles are true, that Every word is true, and it is what we need. So, Father, thank you for today, and we pray that this message will will go forth, and that that whatever inadequacies we might have, you will shine forth in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, maybe some of you uh, dreaded this part of the revelation, but just let me say this. This book is about Jesus. And when you start fearing or confused or um, any other emotion other than praise, then, then uh, we have to recenter. So we are going to go into this knowing that it is the revelation of Jesus and he wants us to know him in his glorified self. But remember, he warned us in the churches, in the letters to the churches, we have to see ourselves. We have to look into these churches and see what is he trying to tell me? Where am I? Where do I fit? What do I need to be warned of? What, what seems to um, inhibit me from looking at this book with glory and praise? So he wants to to get us. He wants to clean up our heart. He wants to get us so centered in on him that you, when judgment hits, when judgment begins, he wants you and I ready and prepared. And no matter what it may do to our body, we are we are ready because we know this has to happen before Jesus comes again. So we we saw last week that these um, that John saw a little a little taste a little taste of what heaven is like. Um, the sights and the sounds of heaven. He, he, he just, oh, you could tell that it was, it was gorgeous. It was, um, he saw Jesus on the throne and it was like he was a, a diamond and ruby and the, the, the uh, lake in front of the throne. It was like a lake. It was crystal clear. It was, um, it just reflected Jesus. The light of Jesus reflected all over. How beautiful, how how wonderful to know and to hear all the praise that was going on there, that he is so worthy. And then to be able to um, see, uh, because John makes it so clear that then there was this angel that said, who can open the scrolls? Who can open this this scroll to begin the the um, judgment on this 
earth to rid it of sin and evil and rebellion. Who is worthy to open the scroll? And no one on heaven and earth was worthy. And then we see Jesus. He steps up and he takes the scroll from his father's hand and he is ready to open judgment. Now, are we going to understand everything in these chapters? I purposely took them from 6 to 20 um, because I wish I could just tell you exactly what it means. I wish I could tell you that this is this is what this horse means. This is what this um, trumpet or seal or bowl of wrath. I wish I could tell you, but but I can't. And even the the greatest scholars, I really don't think they know for sure. So I thought, how do I how do I approach this? What do I want you? What do I want to see? And I want to know certain things that are clear. Things that aren't clear, well, he's got a reason for that. He he always makes clear what we need to know. And I think he keeps us guessing a little, or he, he wants us to, to always be on our guard. He wants us to be watching and waiting and so he kind of he is mysterious when it comes to this part of the, of the, of the um, revelation. So let's just, let's just see what we know for sure. And we do know it's going to happen. And we know why it has to happen. And when, when um, in chapter 5, when no one came up before Jesus, when no one came and took the scroll, John says he wept and he wept. Why did he take that so seriously? Why was that so dramatic? Why, why was that so important? And if there's no, if there's no judgment, then there is, there's, well, there's no way to rid this world of all of its sin and, and, and all this injustice. And, and we want Jesus to come back and we want right, we want wrong righted. And so it has to happen because, because sin came into the world then Jesus has to come and bring it back to its original state. So that's why heaven erupted when Jesus came and took the scroll. And the seals are now going to start opening. And that means judgment is starting. Now... Is this literal? Is it symbolic? And that we don't know for sure. Now, there are times that um, John says it was like, and then we know it wasn't the exact, but it was the best way he could describe. And then there are times that he will say, and there was a... So sometimes you just don't quite know, but I 
again I reiterate, I think we will know what we need to know. And we can't fear, we can't go into this lesson with fear, thinking, oh no, what am I going to do? How is it going to feel? Where am I going to be? That's why in the churches he said, I want your heart to be so in tune with me so that whichever way it happens, you will be able. You will be able to handle it because we are in a relationship and I love my children, Jesus says, and I will take care of them so he, he, he wants us so sure in our relationship that we can, we can do this lesson today and we can say, well, whichever way happens, however he chooses to, to bring judgment on this earth, so be it. Because I know all is well with my soul and I know that I'm secure in my relationship with him and I can handle whatever he has because I know my future. I know what's going to, I know what needs to happen before, but I know what the before is and I can't wait See, that's, that's how he wants us. So looking forward, looking forward to when he comes again and, and gets rid of all evil in Satan. And can you imagine a world like that? Can you imagine a forever like that? So instead of fear and trembling here as we go into this, let's be excited because we are sure. And so, as the seals opened, and we know there were seven of them, and seven, remember, is that complete number, the perfect number. And, and so, what do we know for sure about judgment? And that's why I had you in your questions. I, what do you know about um the, the progression. How can you, what, what does John say about how Jesus works this judgment? And, and the first thing is, it will be complete and it will be done perfectly and it will be done in the timetable that he wants. <laughs> but you can't miss that he does it with progression. He starts with seven seals and then he moves into the seven trumpets and they're a little worse and then he moves into the seven bowls of wrath and then it all breaks loose. But every one of these groupings are, well, they're an attention getter and what he's trying to get the people on earth to see is that, well, I, I believe he's saying, I warned you, I told you, I have my terms, and my terms are that you believe Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, and if you do, you will inherit all this, and 
And if you don't, you will suffer the consequences. So these seals and trumpets and bowls of wrath, he is still, I still see it as grace because he is still merciful because he still wants people to wake up. So here John said, I watched the Lamb, capital L, open up the first of the seals. So we know Jesus is opening up the seals and the first one is a white horse. Second seal is a fiery red horse. The third seal is a black horse. The fourth seal is a pale horse. And, and I'm sure you read this and, and you think, oh boy, this is like a horror story. And in some respects, it is. It is a major wake-up call. But if you are already awoke, awoken, do you need to fear? If you are warned and prepared and looking toward and looking forward, you have nothing to fear. I have nothing to fear. So whether this is symbolic, whether it's literal, we know there's going to be very, very much precise wake-up calls in each one of these seals. Then the fifth seal is opened. And this was quite something, wasn't it, when you read the fifth seal? Spring under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. And they called out in a loud voice, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge the blood, how long do we have to wait before you take care of this mess? And then look what happens. It says, and each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. It kind of gives you chills, but, but I think what the Lord wants us to know is that he, he has everything detailed. He's got a timetable that sometimes he says, just hold on a little longer. I know what I'm doing. I know what needs to happen. And then the sixth seal, great earthquake. Now, again, you know, this, you see a lot of earthquakes, and you, you see that a lot will happen in an earthquake, and it will shake you to your core, and that, you may, it makes you think, he, he wants you and I to sit up and take notice, get things right, um, what I've said is true, and then I, I couldn't help but, but see in various parts during the seals, or the trumpets, or the bulls of wrath, that there was such rebellion. Look at verse 16. 
kings and the earth and princes and generals, rich and slave and free, anybody who did still not want to take notice to, to the warnings, to the, to the wake-up calls, Look what they did. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. They would rather have the rocks come and fall on them rather than say, I believe, I believe you got my attention. But look what they do know. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? So you wonder, just like today, you wonder how come people don't respond to this beautiful message of salvation in Christ? And why doesn't, why doesn't that affect everybody on this earth who wouldn't want to experience grace and peace and, and the abundant life of joy and blessing and, and contentment and the Holy Spirit and his power, who in the world doesn't want to have that? And yet, we know there's so many that still want to call their own life. They don't want to submit or surrender to anyone. And so we see it. In the worst of times, people are still saying, I'd rather have the rocks fall on me than to admit that Jesus is Lord and I need a Savior. That, that's um, mind-boggling to me, but it's a fact. Then before the seventh seal is opened, this is the... the um, progression and the precision before the seventh seal. What did he do? What did he do? He raised up 144,000 servants, evangelists, who will, who will get this message of the gospel and salvation out there. So can you, even in the midst of all these horses and what they um, entail and what they bring forth, there's still that love and compassion and mercy. There's still time for people to respond. And he even brings 144,000 servants from, from the 12 tribes of Israel and then there is, in verse 9, after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne in front of the Lamb. A great multitude. And that multitude is different than the angels. He, he distinguishes the difference. There's difference between the multitude. The multitude comes from every people and tribe and language and nation. Uh, who are they? All I want to say, because I know there's so many different ways to look at 
this as far as is there a rapture? Is there not? Is the rapture and the second coming the same thing? And I don't know what take you on to it there again. If you're stable in your faith and your relationship with him, it really doesn't matter. All I do know for sure is that everybody, every person has got to resurrect. And why? Because we need to stand before our Savior as our Savior or as our judge. We stand before every person has to stand before Jesus. And it will be as our Savior or as our judge. So we have to recognize that there is a resurrection for everyone. And, and the more I study, the more clues I see. And well, you know, clues, sometimes they lead you good, sometimes they lead you on a wild goose chase. But, but um, I am seeing that this, this resurrection must take place. And from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5, we are told by Paul that because people, you know, when, when times are going tough and, and you, you just want some reassurance and you want to you wanna know, kind of, I just want to know a little bit. And even back in, in the of time when Paul was writing to the people of Thessalonica who had who had questions and and maybe they were falling into fear and he had, he had to get them back on track. And so he says, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. You know, he's saying, I want you to know, we don't have to know everything, but I want you to be reassured that the people who have gone ahead of us and have passed away and who have loved Jesus, he says, I want you to know something. I want you to have some hope about that. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep and I love this part, and I even can say it by heart because I love it so much. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. There's our first clue that we, the people who who have gone before and have committed their lives to Christ, their resurrection will be first. The 
dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And he says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. So it doesn't say rapture, does it? No, it doesn't. And we really don't know when or what, but it does say that the dead in Christ will rise. And then if there are people, the people who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. You know, this is not the second coming. This is a different, a whole different picture that Paul says. It says that the believer, the first resurrection will be of the dead in Christ. They will rise first and then, then all those who believe will be caught up together. Caught up together. And so, I don't know, I just think that there's more proof to say that that we as the church, as he loves the church so much that we will be taken from this earth before the second coming. The second coming is when he comes to this earth. He comes down to this earth. Now, again, take it for what you want to believe. And I know there's, again, many differences, but I just look at what Paul said. He said to fearful people, I want you to know this. I want you to take encouragement of this. He's got this all detailed and planned, and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And who's the we? If we don't pass away first, we believers... It says we're going to be caught up with him. Could that possibly be? Could that possibly be in in what in Revelation seven when he talks to and John said, "I saw a great multitude from every nation and tribe and people and language." I know sometimes I think. Do I believe this or do I just want to believe this? And of course, there's a little of both, but you know, there's a, I just know the character of Christ and he loves us and he'll take us out of here. Because look what they cried. Look what they cried. It says they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Who does that sound like? It sounds like people who were saved. People like you and me who recognize what Jesus came to this earth to do and and can help her proclaim in a loud voice, salvation belongs only to our God who sits on the throne. There is no one that could have saved us. And so we're, we're shouting it in a loud voice because we want to proclaim that we are so grateful. Now, 
but in we I'm just taking hints and clues from from the timing of when people arise and we will see when other people arise the believers raised first so that was a beautiful picture wasn't it right here because right before the seventh seal is opened John wants us to visualize the, the, the multitude the saved and the and the worship from the from the elders and the four living creatures there's so much saying saying because we're so in and of ourselves we were so unworthy but because of Jesus who is worthy all praise and all all proclaiming belongs to him because he is worthy amen praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever amen there'll never be a time that you and I are not grateful in our forever when we can't even fathom what that means but in our forever we will never ever think that it was up to us it's why all this whole book makes a center again on Jesus the only one that's worthy of this kind of praise because he is the only one that saved Now, what happened when the seventh seal was opened in chapter 8? When Jesus opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Now, there again, we see enough in this judgment we see very much that he uses um, our knowledge of, of our knowledge of time. So I mean, he uses um, 1,260 days, uh, three and a half. Um, you know, he, he uses terms, and now here we see half an hour. He knows that we understand. Time. So again, is that literal or symbolic? But it's so, again, precise that he wants us to know that there is this timetable going on. And so about a half hour, there was silence in heaven. Now, now why? Why would you think that he would silence from all this, this havoc that took place from all the seals that preceded? Now, all of a sudden, there's silence. Could it be, could it be that he is saying a little respite, take a deep breath, um, get yourself ready, you know, sometimes uh, uh, you need a little space because look what happens after that half hour. 
and I saw seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, hurled it on the earth, and there came peals of thunder, rumbling, flashes, lightning, and an earthquake. After that silence, it's like the pause is over. And now he, he starts the seven trumpets. And then you, when you read this, were you, were you quite taken by, by the preciseness? Now we know he is progressing. He is progressing from, I mean, even the seven seals are nothing to, um, to pass off lightly, but the, the seven seals and then the seven trumpets, they get worse, and then the seven bulls wrath, it's when all breaks loose. So we see he gave a little respite, a half hour, get your, get your, you know, take a deep breath. And then all of a sudden we, we pitch the, the seventh seal opening and the angel just hurls and he is going to open now the trumpets. He's going to sound them. And the first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire and mixed with blood. And look at this. A third of the earth was burned up. So we know, what do we, what do we know for sure is that judgment must take place. Jesus is, is the one who is calling the shots He's the one that started opening the seven seals. And now we see the preciseness in the seven trumpets. You think he's in control of this, and this isn't planned to the nth degree? Whether I understand all this or not, I, he's got my attention, and he's got my respect. He's got my awe in how he is going to rid this earth and this world of all of the evil that he never intended to be here in the first place. And he is going to get rid of it. And he knows exactly how he's going to do it. And he is worthy of it all. First angel, second angel, third angel, fourth angel. Oh, sounding the first trumpet, the second trumpet, the third trumpet, the fourth trumpet. Every one of these trumpets, when they were sounded, one-third of whatever they were proclaiming happened. One-third of the earth was burned up. One-third of the sea turned to blood. A third of the living creatures. A third of the ships were destroyed. A third of the rivers and the springs of the and the water, a third of the waters turned bitter. 
a third of the sun, moon, and stars turn dark. A third of the day is without light, and a third of the night. So, <laughs> John says, as I watch this, I mean, as John, I'm sure, he, he is just, good thing he's in the spirit, remember? Because he, if when you're in the spirit, there would be no other way he would be able to even be, uh, be able to write this down. But he still, he has to be so taken by a third, a third, a third. And then, though, chapter 9, at the end of 8, an angel, well, he says, as I watch, I heard an eagle, an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice whoa 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 so did you see there were four trumpets sounded with a third of everything being destroyed and then this eagle in midair shouts, whoa, whoa, whoa. See, four and three make seven. And so these last three trumpets come even with a more of a warning. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet. So this one is the, the first of the woes. So it's the fifth trumpet, but it's the last three. It's the third to the last. And oh, wow, what is it? It says, I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. A star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. The abyss. A lot of times people think that's hell, but it isn't. The abyss, it's a, it's a terrible, terrible place. And remember, even the pigs, remember when, when, this, when, the, um, when Jesus cast out from the, demon, the demons from this man and, and they shouted, oh, don't send us to the abyss. So it was a place you did not want to go, but it is not hell. Hell is, you will see, is, is at the end of judgment. But right now, there is an abyss. And who is there? I don't know, but there is an abyss. And it was opened. And out of the abyss came, look, locusts. And they were like scorpions. And they were told not to harm the grass or the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. See, that's another thing that just triggers my mind. I'm thinking, well, the 144,000 were, were given seals so that they would not be touched during this time. But I also remember what Paul said in Ephesians where he says that, that we, when we come to Christ, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. 
See, these things we've got to keep remembering what we have learned because, because Jesus takes care of us. And whether we have to go through all this or whether, or whether we are taken up out of this ahead of time, whichever, we're sealed. And I know we look at this and we think, well, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to. No, no human body wants to go through it. But what has Jesus been telling us? It's not about our human body. How well is your soul? How, how complete are you in your relationship with Jesus? When you are so sure of him, then you trust what he's doing. Because you are sealed. I'm sealed with his very spirit. I'm sealed with his very self. I belong to him. And no one or nothing can change that. So when you think, I mean, you look at this scorpion and, and you see it, it was, they were not given power to kill, but only to torture. That's what the, these locusts, this, like a scorpion, they, were, they couldn't kill, they could just torture. And during those days, men will seek death. They'll want to die, but won't find it. And those locusts look like horses prepared for battle. Now, don't you think that that would get your attention? Or wake you up to say, I think I might have been wrong thinking that I could control myself, that, that I'm the, the higher being and, and no one's going to tell me what to do. Don't you think? And then you got the second to the last wall. In this portion, in this preciseness, and then this progressiveness, you have the, the sixth angel in verse 13. And then it says that this sixth angel had the trumpet, and the trumpet sounded, released the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates, and the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day. See there again, look at that. A specific time. Very hour and day and month and year, they were released to kill a third of mankind. Ooh, here's that precision again. And yes, it is progressively getting worse to get people to open up their eyes. The number of the mounted troops were 200 million. And John says, I heard their number. So that's what John says. And what did we learn from our very first week of the study of Revelation is that John, we could trust him. He's credible. He's in the spirit. Just think, look at that. And a third of mankind was killed by plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. Wow. Wow. 
because they, these horses and riders, their breastplates were fiery red, dark and blue and yellow as sulfur. Look at John, could even see the distinctness of color. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions and out of their mouths came this fire, smoke and sulfur and a third of mankind. Wow. The rest of mankind, verse 20, that were not killed by these plagues. So, look at this. This is, this is another thing that just astounds me. The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. See, to me, that's another clue that, that the first resurrection of the believers has taken place because it's that the rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues did not repent. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexuality, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. You know, that word repent is so critical. And we saw that in, in Revelation 2 and 3. And I keep going back to those letters because I think we totally underestimate that word repent is a word every one of us needs to understand and experience in our lives. Or if you don't repent, the consequences are astounding. And he warned us plenty. And in chapter 10, it's like... This whole little, little little chapter that talks about this little scroll. The angel comes and has this little scroll. Says in verse 2, he was holding the little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he gave a loud shout like a roar of a lion. And when he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. John says, I heard a voice from heaven say, seal up what those seven thunders have said and do not write it down now. So John heard something and it's right at this particular time and, and seven thunders and he was told, don't write that down now. It is such a warning. It is such a warning. Chapter 10 is such another chapter, even though it's, it's so big and massive as far as the meaning of and what happens, and yet it just shows such love and compassion. I mean, we hear in verse 6, it's, it says... And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, this angel swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that is in it, and said, there will be no more delay. Verse 7. 
You know, we've talked about progression and we've talked about preciseness. And then we hear, we hear something like, and there's going to be no more delay. It is going to open wide. It is going to be massive. We thought it was before, even with the seals and then the trumpets. And then we're told... Now there's going to be no more delay. Think the seven, could it be the seven bowls of wrath? They come quick and they come severe. Look at the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll and he said, take it and eat it. That's kind of strange, huh? Eat it. Eat it. And take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it, and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many people, nations, languages, and kings. I think this, these seven thunders I think this whole experience with this little scroll and, and John eating it and it tasted sweet but it soured his stomach and, and then to be told the words you must prophesy again. In other words, John, don't stop now. You've got to keep this message going. And so I think John just kept writing, okay, okay, it's not done yet, I'll keep writing, because there was so much more yet to say, there was so much more, there were so many people yet that were still rebelling and saying no to the gospel, and it's so easy to give up, and John, I think, was told, tell the prophecy again, say it again, tell them, warn them, Tell them that there's in many nations, many nation languages, many, many peoples and kings. And then between the sixth and seventh trumpet, something really unique happens, doesn't it? There was the rise of two witnesses. And here again, look at the preciseness. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go measure the temple of God and the altar and count the worshipers there, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. We, we learned that, remember? That outer cord, why Jesus was so upset when, when he flipped the tables and it's because those because the religious leaders they were selling, you know, and, and making all this money and being deceitful, and also more even importantly, they were taking the room and the place that only Gentiles could go. 
They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. That's three and a half years. And I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,260 days. So we've got 42 months. We've got 1,260 days. So again, the preciseness. And he's saying, though these two witnesses will be clothed in sackcloth. If anyone tries to harm these two witnesses, fire will come from their mouth, from from. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. Boy, that had to have been something. You have two witnesses dressed in sackcloth, and if somebody tried to get too close to them and, and destroy them, fire would come from their mouths. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. These men have power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. And when they had finished their testimony, the beast that comes from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Now, the beast is we have, again, you know, this has to do with how you, you know, want to interpret this, but for, for many, the beast is an antichrist. So this person that comes from the abyss, which makes perfect sense, whether it's one person or whether it's a it's a, a kingdom of some sort, I don't I don't know. But it's antichrist. Whoever comes out of this abyss, they're antichrist, and they they kill these two witnesses, and their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, men from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. All they were doing was, it was another way the Lord was going to use to try to get people's attention. And again, this whole story, you'd think that they would be listening. And then when the Antichrist kills these two witnesses, everybody, you can see, look at the evil, look at the, the rebellion. Instead of saying yes to the message of the gospel, they, they give each other presents like it's Christmas. So glad that these two old codgers are, they're, they're done with, they're, they're, they're dead. Hallelujah, they're glad. But after three and a half days, the breath of God entered them and they stood on their feet and terror struck those who saw them and they heard loud voice from heaven saying to them come up here and they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on 
At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to God of heaven. That's one line that you're always... Uh, you're just so glad to hear that there was some that were listening, some that were choosing to believe. However, we're going to learn that those who became believers during this time were, were considered martyrs because the majority of them were beheaded according to later chapters. So if people say, well, you know, hey, if I don't accept Jesus now, I mean, during that time, there's still plenty of time. There's still plenty of time. I would never wait for that. Not when you can experience all what Jesus promised now. I would never wait today is the day of salvation. But at least you see that, that there were some that were starting to sit up and take notice. Oh, it's so good to hear that. But then the seventh trumpet. And it says, the seventh trumpet sounded and there was loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who, who was because you have taken your great power and you've begun to reign they were starting to see it's coming. The end of this is coming. The time has come for judging the dead and for your rewarding your servants, the prophets and your saints and those who reverenced your name, both small and great. And you're going to destroy those who destroy the earth. And then God's temple in heaven was opened. And within his temple, there was the ark of his covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumbles, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. And then before the seven bowls of wrath, we have chapters 12 and 13. 12, if you just read it and you, you just take your time, you can't help but see how the woman is, is Israel. The, the chosen people who from the line gave birth to a son who would come to save and the dragon, the devil would try anything to try to keep Jesus from the cross. It's like chapter 12, it just kind of brings you back to the story and reminds us of our redemption. And even it, it tells us how Satan was thrown out because of his, his rebellion and his pride. And his followers said the great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. It's like, remember that. 
chapter 13, you, you start to see that, that uh, the beast that we saw came out of the abyss. This beast is the Antichrist, the beast that came from the sea, and then the beast that came from the earth is the false prophet. And they just create havoc on this earth. It's like, remember. And the thing is, human nature in its sinful self sucks up to their message. People believe the Antichrist. People believe the false prophet. You know why I think people believe culture and what they want to believe and, and I mean I even see this in Christians I mean falling for the latest spiritual fad or whatever I, I'm going to dare say it there's so many Christians even who are scripturally illiterate and when you don't have the foundation of God's word, you have nothing to fight back. Remember, this is the sword of God's spirit. This is God's word is what the Holy Spirit uses. And if we don't know it, that's why in the letters to the churches, there was some, the two that, that they were followers of Christ and they didn't have to repent, but they... One was afraid because of persecution and the other one was, they felt inadequate. All human feelings, but yet they didn't do anything wrong, but they were encouraged and they were, and they were told that, that as your, inadequ your inadequacy has nothing to do with what people think. Uh, Jesus says, I open the door of opportunity for you and and then there's the other four churches that followers were a half and half. They were, they were following sometime, but then they still wanted to follow themselves too. And I call them halfies. They, 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 on certain days, they'll follow Christ. And then on certain days, they still want, they want to be able to say what they, and do what they want to say and do. And then there's the one church who thought that they were a follower of Christ and they weren't at all. So how does that happen? How, how does that happen that, that followers can even get discouraged and feeling inadequate? How is it that, that followers only want to do it half time and still want to control half of their own life because they, they just do? And then to think that there's some that are absolutely not followers at all, but they think they are. It's because of, of the power of people that are anti-Christ and who are false prophets and, and they say what itchy ears want to hear. Uh, before the bowls of wrath, and I think this is, like I, if, I, if you don't mind my term, is when all hell breaks loose. But it's like, like one more time, he, he, the lamb, the 144,000, it's like they, they do what, I heard a sound from heaven like a roar of rushing waters and a loud peal of thunder and the power of the message of the 144,000 in the lamb and, and they say,
sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders and no one no and no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the from the earth these are those who did not defile themselves with women for they kept themselves pure and they followed the lamb wherever he goes A reminder that, that he will take care of his own. And then he, you see the three angels. It's like the last, last warning. He sends three angels. So another angel flying in mid-air, verse 6 of chapter 14, and he had the, the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth. See, you can see that, that you know, you've got the 144,000 servants who are trying to proclaim. You've got, now you've got this angel who's flying in mid-air and has the eternal gospel that, that he's trying to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He says in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and the springs of water. Again, what a message. The second angel followed and says, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. The angel is warning the nations who are probably so prideful and thinking we've conquered, we we rule, we're in charge, and I think the I think Babylon refers to any any empire in the ages who have said that they they are the king. They don't need an almighty king. They are big enough to handle themselves and they, lo- they, they just are swelling with pride and self-gratitude and greatness. I tell you, Jesus warned nations about that. A third angel followed and said in a loud voice, if anyone worships a beast in his image and receives his mark on the forehead, instead of having the being sealed with God's spirit, you're sealed with the devil. He too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels of the Lamb. This is, these three angels, this is the last straw. John said in 14, I looked, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man. Huh, wonder who that was. John refers to him again. Jesus, I saw him. He was like the son of man. No denying who he was. With a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand, then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice and he was sitting on the cloud, take your sickle and reap because the time to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he was seated on the cloud, swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was harvested. A 
another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle. Take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's wine earth's vine because its grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered his grapes, threw them into the great wine press of God's wrath. They were trampled in the, in the wine press outside the city, and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horse's bridles of a distance of 1,600 stadia. Oh, I just get chills because as a believer, I, I don't, I know that I don't have to deal with this. But what's the point? Why why is this so severe? Why is this so fearful? You're only fearful if you're not sure of your relationship with Jesus. Why do you think he you might say, well, why does he, why does it have to be so bad? Why does it have to, um, why does it have to be this descriptive and so precise and, and so progressive and, and it's just so loud and I tell you, we have a savior that means business and he warned us. And here, in my heart, uh, I really, truly, from what I've just read here, I think this is a chance. This is the time when the seven bowls of wrath are now spilled out. Is where there's no more chances. That's why in chapter 14 it was so distinct and the three angels are proclaiming it was like the last three things and then you see Jesus and the sickle it is time for it finally to be over and then I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign seven angels with the seven last plagues last because with them God's wrath is completed and believe me there People in heaven who are watching us, they're excited. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast in his image and over the number of, of his name. And they held the harps given them by God and sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. They are joy-filled because they have a new song because it is almost finished. And Jesus is righting every wrong. Look at verse 7. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go, pour out the seven bowls of wrath on the earth. The first angel went poured out his bowl. See, what a descriptive. You had the seals that were open, the trumpets that were announcing, that were sounded. And you know what John said about the trumpet. You, it's very distinct, and you do not miss it. And then you've got these seven bowls of wrath, and now it is poured out. 
first bowl, ugly, painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast. Second bowl, poured out on the sea, and it turned into blood like that of a dead man and every living thing in the sea, every living Every living thing in the sea died. The third angel poured out the bowl on the rivers and the streams of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, you are just in these judgments. Saying to Jesus, you are so right. They were warned. You gave them so many chances. Verse 7, and I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch people with fire. And they were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, and they refused to repent and glorify him. And the fifth angel poured out his bowl. Men gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pain and their sores, and they refused to repent. The sixth angel poured his bowl. And then look. Verse 16, then they gathered the kings together in the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. So after the sixth bowl was poured out and they saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs that came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophets, and there are spirits of the demons performing miraculous signs. I mean, this place is going nuts. And now Jesus is going to gather them. All those who refuse to repent, he's going to gather them in one place. Called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. It's like when Jesus said, it is finished. He had completed the task that his father asked him to do for the redemption of us who are willing to come to him. It is done. Judgment is over. And then there came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on earth. No trem- so tremendous was this great quake. The great city split into three parts. The cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away and mountains could not be found from the sky. Huge hailstorms of about 100 pounds each fell upon men and they still cursed God on account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. Chapters 17 and 18, again, are just, I think, chapters that remind us that 
Nations have been warned, and any nation that rose up, other and other religions that rose up, any other religion that came that claimed to be the religion or the one and only. So whether it be a nation or whether it be a religion, I think sixteen and I think these next two chapters, seventeen and eighteen, just kind of help you and I to see their doom. So again, why do you think all this has to be in here? Why, why don't we quite understand it all? I think we understand enough to know that everything that Jesus said was going to happen was, is going to happen. And what do we know about prophecy? When John was told, you must keep this prophecy going, what do we know about God's prophecy? It all comes through. He loves mankind so much that he put this book, and that's why I said you'll be so blessed if you study this book, so that you will know how serious I am. You have two choices in your lifetime to either accept me or reject me. Then we get to chapter 19. To me, this is such a glorious chapter because it is done. Judgment is over. The nations that have now gathered in one specific place at Armageddon, and now it is ready. The world is now ready for the second coming of Christ. Chapter 19 is the second coming of Christ. And look what's happening. After this, I heard, after this, after what? After judgment, after it is done, after the reminder that God's going to take care of all the false religions and the false nations. After this, I heard what sounded like a roar of a great multitude in heaven. And here again, I'm just, I'm just so believing that that's, that's me, that's you. Because remember, the dead in Christ have risen first, and we all have to rise to be able to face Jesus. But look at look what look what's happening in heaven before Jesus gets on his white horse, ready to to come back to earth to finish it off. Look what everybody, the multitudes, are just. I mean, you talk about handles. Hallelujah, chorus is majestic as that is that you can't help but stand when you hear it. This hallelujah chorus is far beyond any other hallelujah chorus. Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries, her unfaithfulness. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants and again they shouted, Hallelujah, the smoke from her comes up forever and ever. She's done. Evil's lost. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped and they seated and, and who was seated on the throne and they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, who you who fear him both small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like a roar of rushing waters, the loud that like loud peals of thunder shouting hallelujah for our Lord God almighty reigns. 
Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And the bride, that's the church. And that's why he had to warn us in two and three, get ready, I want my bride ready. Blessed are the angels that blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. And then the angel added, these are the true words of God. And I do believe that in 10, John stumbled a bit. I think he was so overtaken with all that was transpiring, all what he had seen and all what happened now in chapter 19. And, and hearing the angel say, these are the true words of God. He just fell at his feet, at the feet of that angel and began to worship the angel. He, he began to worship the messenger. And boy, did the angel correct him. You get up. Do not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So John, he, I can't, I can't say I blame him. I mean, I think he was just so taken and awed by this. And it is tempting sometimes to, to, to worship and put our messengers on pedestals. But the angel has the perfect words. We who are messengers, we are just exactly that. We can only be a messenger of the message, the ultimate message. It is not about the messenger. We're just an avenue, a vessel to get the message out. Never is a, is a human a messenger to be, to be awed and, and put on a pedestal. We just proclaim the message that is so profound and so wonderful and so saving and so life-changing. I saw a heaven standing open. Okay, here's the, here it is. Now John said, I saw a heaven standing wide open and there was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Faithful and True, capital letters. There is no one more faithful and more true than Jesus and with justice, he judges and makes war. Remember John said in Revelation 1 that Jesus had, had blazing eyes. And here again it says, his eyes were like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He is mad. He is angry. And he is going to make it right once and for all. And he's the one who wears the, the crown of authority. The only one who deserves to wear it. He has his name. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. I don't know if his, his um, robe was dipped in blood to show us that his blood was shed for us or whether that he is going to go to a massive, he's going to go to watch a massive defeat and be a part of striking everybody dead. And the blood, I'm sure, was extreme. And so whether that represents that, I don't know for sure, but I don't care, do you? <laughs> I don't care. It sure tells a story either way. 
of, of who he is and what he's done and what he's going to do. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. See, I think that's another clue that that's, that's us. The people who've been, who rose first and, and we which were alive and remain were caught up with him. Again, it's up to you, but out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Then look, on his robe, on his, he's, he's on a horse, and, and it says on his thigh, he has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When you're sitting on a horse, that thigh is very visible. So again, the perfect place to put King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair. Come, gather together for the great supper of God and so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, mighty men of horses, their riders, the flesh of all people, free and slaves, small and great. See, the same words, the same description of people that Jesus was saying to John, you've got to keep prophesying. But here we have people that refuse to listen. They would, not, they would not believe that this was really going to happen. And then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. I like to picture this because I, I, I can see Jesus and the multitudes coming in and the multitudes. Now, nobody has a piece of equipment. You know, nobody's got a sword or a gun or anything like this. And, and then you've got this Armageddon, and, and they're probably the best technology, the best system, you know. And they're pointing them, pointing at, at Jesus on the, and they're thinking they're just going to blow him out of, the, out of the air. I like to do that because I, I just think it's just laughable. They're laughing, thinking that, that there's, oh, they don't even have any, they don't have anybody, any equipment, they don't have any weapons, and, and we have it all. And they think, and all Jesus does is open up his mouth. The word of God, the sword of the Spirit comes out of his mouth. So, I, I, I love this part too. It says the beast and the false prophet who had deceived and proclaimed false messages. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Hell is now been opened. And the rest of them were killed with a sword that came out of the mouth of the rider and the horse and all the birds gorged themselves that something? The angel told the birds, come, you're going to have a feast like you've never had before. Boy, when Jesus does something, he does it completely. The final chapter is way beyond my grasp of understanding. All we know is that that uh, 
the thousand-year reign, again, is this symbolic? Is this, is this literal? Um, the, the devil is, is going to be held in the abyss uh, for a thousand years, and Jesus reigns on this earth. But then I just want you to see, look at here, I want verse 4 of chapter 20. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been that had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their forehead or their hands. They came to life. Here's the resurrection for those martyred during judgment. They came to reign with Christ a thousand years. And then in parentheses, verse 5, look at the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. When you're... I heard this once. It's, re it's really neat. You know, the believer were born twice and die once. And the unbeliever is born once and dies twice. And here, when we're part of the first resurrection, whenever that time, whenever that is, whenever the believer is resurrected, we will not. Blessed is this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in that first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God in Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released and he will be set free for a short time and then... Um, it says in verse 10, then the devil who deceived them was burnt, was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. See, when it comes to Revelation 20, no, I, I just don't understand it and I can't even figure it out. But that's okay. All I have to know is that he has, Jesus has made his point. Evil is going to be banished, evil. We have the false prophet and the antichrist already in hell. We know that whenever the thousand-year reign is over and, and Satan is released for a short time and whatever people he deceives or whatever, we know they're going to be taken care of it. But then this is a sight that I hope that we can see is when Jesus takes a hold of Satan and then puts him into hell. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I often wondered about that. I thought, well, if you die, it's a second death, and how can you be tormented if you're dead? You know what that second death really is? The second death, you, there, there is nothing worse than being totally separated from God. So that doesn't mean that they die like we're used to seeing with no more breath and no more life in them. No, the, the second death is when they are totally separated from God, never to have a chance. They will be tormented forever and ever. Now do you see what this has to be? Be 
people have to know this. People have to know how serious Jesus is and how important Christianity is and how important the cross is, how important salvation is. And then I saw a great white throne. The great white throne. This is where the unbeliever is now raised. And they have to be raised too because they will stand in front of the judge. And the books are open. And I think that there's probably nothing more haunting then verse 14 and 15, then death and Hades was thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. <sighs> yeah, this was a long, hard lesson. And do I have it all crystal clear? And do I have it all just right? And are all my opinions right? I, I don't know. But what I want to get from this Revelation 6 to 20 is that judgment is real. Jesus opened up the scroll and there were seven seals and there were seven trumpets and there were seven bowls of wrath and they were progressive and he was precise and his timetable is perfect and the end result is that evil is banished to eternal hell for the believer this is not to be feared but it is to wake us up We've got work to do. We shouldn't want this to happen to our worst enemy, let alone someone we love. And we've been told, it's very obvious, that we might not bat a thousand. We might tell a loved one, or we might tell someone about this, and they, they might, they, they'll, they've heard, they, they heard our, they'll hear our intensity, they, they know how much we mean it, and yet they'll still plug their ears. I mean, we saw it right in, right in these chapters. There are still those who are going to choose to not accept this precious gift. But I don't want to be responsible for not telling, do you? I don't want to be responsible for saying that I cared too much about what they thought of me rather than telling them the truth. I'm so grateful for a Savior who is willing to come to this earth, not only to go to the cross for me, but to tell the truth. And he is the way, and he is the truth, and he is life. And coming through a lesson like this, I just praise him that I know him. I am so grateful for my salvation. If these chapters do anything for me, they don't make me fearful. They make me grateful. Because I know, I know that my Redeemer lives, and I know that I'm going to live with him forever and ever. And I will never experience the second death. Don't you rejoice in that. It is worth studying. Father, thank you for loving us so much. I just pray, even though this was a long, tough lesson, it's still an eye-opener, a wake-up call. 
It's the truth. And whether it's symbolic or literal, or half and half or whatever, Father, the main point is that you mean business. And there is no one, absolutely no one, who is going to get into the glory, and we'll get into that next week, so wonderful. No one is going to go there, and everyone whose name is not in the book of life will experience a second death. That's just the terms. These are just the way you set them up. And I'm so grateful that I heard the gospel, and I responded, yes. And now I've been sealed. I've been sealed. And no one or nothing, not even judgment, can affect my relationship with you. And I praise you for that. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. It's coming. And we pray this all in our Savior's name. Amen.